Well, good morning. I'm glad you're with us as well. And as Matt said, we have been studying Thessalonians for months and months, and we'll continue to do so. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and open with me to First Thess chapter 5. The team, uh, appreciate your prayers for them as you open and for uh, Matt's brother, Bo, uh, as far as we know, uh, still among us. So thank you for praying for him. We have, through this series, been saying a a prayer together to prepare our hearts to receive the word, not just to open it up, but to hear the word and receive the word. So with your Bible open, whether it's digital or a hard copy, let's declare this together. This is God's word, his heart revealed. I humbly declare his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. All right, again, that is to prepare us to receive the scriptures, not just to listen to it, but to receive it. And the scripture we're going to look at this morning specifically, verse 19, chapter 5, do not quench the spirit. We excel still more by not quenching the spirit. Now, if you're new or visiting, give you some broad context here. Chapter four and chapter five, the whole theme has been to excel still more. In other words, to please the Lord in every area of our lives. And he's been addressing all sorts of areas. Most recently, the more immediate context, the end of chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, seven essentials for a healthy spiritual family. And now we are in the middle of cultivating an intimate relationship with God in verses 16 through 22. So far, that intimate relationship with God is that we rejoice always that we pray without ceasing, and in everything we give thanks, for this is God's will for us who are in Christ Jesus. So just pause for a moment, think about those. Those are relational expressions. When we rejoice always, we are rejoicing in the Lord. That's a relational expression. When we pray without ceasing, we're saying, Every moment of every day, regardless of context or circumstance, I'm going to live in communion with God. And when I give thanks in everything, that is a relational expression of trust. Because I may not understand it, I may not like it, but I am thankful that he is sovereign and he is good. I trust him and the expression of that trust is, Lord, thank you. This expression of trust, this expression of relationship, do not quench the spirit. As we'll talk about, this is a relational expression. Do not quench the spirit. It's an important verse for Christian Family Chapel because if you've been around, I hope you know that our mission, our purpose is this, growing fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ followers. And I emphasize here spirit-empowered because oftentimes churches do not include in their mission or purpose statement the person of the Holy Spirit. And what I want us to capture from verse 19, 
do not quench the spirit is this importance of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And I want to say it this way, and we're going to repeat this multiple times today, that the spirit is to our living for God as Jesus is to our coming to God. Very rarely in the church do we miss the importance of Jesus in our salvation. But it's easy to miss the importance of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification, our living for God. The culture may have gospel confusion and the church may have an ignoring of the Holy Spirit that is unhealthy in our relationship with God. So I want us to understand this morning the importance of the Holy Spirit, and I'm framing it this way. Almost all of us would understand the importance of Jesus to coming to God in our salvation. He said it this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That I, I want us to have gospel clarity. There is no salvation apart from believing in Jesus. And not only is there no salvation apart from believing in Jesus, it is believing in Jesus alone. See, the gospel confusion of folks all around us here in this city, and maybe some here this morning, is that we believe that, yes, we do believe that Jesus died on the cross. But we think in order to be saved, it's not only what Jesus has done, it's what Jesus has done plus something. Jesus died plus I get baptized. Jesus died for me plus I live a better life. Jesus died plus I stop cussing. Jesus died but I come to church. There is what Jesus did plus what I did that saves me. And Jesus could not be more clear that it is not our works at all that would save us. It is only, only through Jesus. I hope you have gospel clarity. It's not your works, but only what Christ has done. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So, God's gospel clarity. Where's the Spirit of God fit in this? Well, in this same conversation in John 14, in the upper room with those disciples, same people, same conversation, maybe minutes, if that, away from him giving gospel clarity, he says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Now, who's he speaking about? He goes on, next verse. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and future now and will be where? In you. Jesus is saying there's a major change coming. God with you, Jesus, is going to turn into God in you. When? Because that's a big change. When? Well, same conversation, same room, same group of people. Now, a few minutes later again, he says, 
I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, Paul's right there. You and I can't appreciate what it would meant for those men who had changed radically the way they had lived their lives for the sake of now following this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. And now the guy from whom they had rearranged their entire lives for was going, I'm leaving. And they're like, you can't leave. We're, we changed our lives to follow you. And he says to them, you don't want me to go away, but it actually is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper who is the spirit will not come to you. If I go, I'll send him to you. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus said very simply, I had to come because you could not be saved unless it was through me. So our salvation, our coming to God is dependent upon the coming of Jesus. But our living for God was equally dependent upon the leaving of Jesus. Because if Jesus didn't leave, the Holy Spirit wasn't going to come. And if he would leave, he would come and go from God with them to God in them. See, do you understand? I hope you're capturing the importance that the Spirit is to our living for God as Jesus is to our coming to God. I can't be saved apart from Jesus and I can't live the life that I've been saved to apart from the Holy Spirit. We should not be Jesus-informed and Holy Spirit ignorant. So therefore, we're going to spend four weeks on verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Wow, what do you mean so long? Because would you be surprised if I spent four weeks on the gospel? You go, man, it's the gospel, Jesus, yes. Equally, it's the Holy Spirit and living the life for which Jesus came to die and then left so that the spirit could come. So, Let's lay a bunch of groundwork. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the third person of the Godhead. Uh, Now, some of you, that's very familiar. Others, you may have never heard the word Trinity. The Bible never uses the word Trinity, but it speaks to the fact that the God we worship, the God of the Bible, is one God in three persons, When God speaks into creation in Genesis 1, he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You see, he speaks of himself in plurality, in plural pronouns. But every Jewish person would always know from the time they could speak to be able to recite, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is is one. So is he one or is he plural? And the answer is yes. He is one God revealed in three distinct, co-equal, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And and you're going to see it in multiple times even this morning, the, the expression 
of the triune God is all over the scriptures and we often miss it. In fact, I already read a scripture to you that revealed the triune God. Did you see it? Jesus, the Son of God, speaking, says, I will ask the Father. Now, is he talking to himself? Kinda. (laughs) He is God, but he is distinct from the Father. The Son of God says to the Father God, I'm going to ask him, and he, Father God, will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you. Now, what's... The key word I want you to understand here is another. When Jesus says, I'll give you another, that could mean one of two radically different things. Let me illustrate. If you saved up all your money and yesterday you went out and you bought a 2020 Corvette and you were like pumped to come to church just so everybody could see your new car. And you walked in, like, kept looking back at it because you were so excited and, and church was over and you were excited. You're folks showing folks and everybody's admiring. And you got in the car and you're driving home and I'm driving home and I am not watching. And you're sitting on San Jose and I plow my F-150 right into the back of your brand new 2020 Corvette. And you can't believe it. And you jump out and you're ready to cuss me out. And then it's the pastor. Like, ah, ah, I can't believe it. And I'm like, oh, I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry. I just, oh, I, you're mad. I'm embarrassed. But then I say, hey, I'll get you another one. Please, please, please don't file insurance. And you're like, I'm your pastor. You can trust me. Don't file insurance. I'll get you another one. You'll get me another. I'll get you another. You'll get me another. I promise. I'll get you another. Just just between you and I. I'm your pastor. All right. You'll give me another one. Yes. Three days later, I pull into your driveway. (laughs) And I'm sorry. I know. Wrong color, but hey, I got you another one. Did I? (laughs) Sure, I got you another one. You had a car. I wrecked your car. I got you another car. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. But you went, when you heard me say another one, you didn't think I meant my grandmother's civic. You thought I meant another one, like another of the exact kind. Yes? So when Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away because I will send you another, is he saying another or another? Well, here's the beauty. The Greek word alon, another of exact kind. So when Jesus is saying to the disciples, It's to your advantage I go away. He's not saying, hey, it's been good to have God with you, but I'll send another and it'll be, I mean, it'll be be okay. You'll be all right. It's not as good. He's going, no, I'm going to send you as I have been God with you. I'm going to send another, the Holy Spirit, who is God, and it will be God in you. 
huge difference. Not another, generically, another of exact like kind. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead who lives in. That's, I just can't overemphasize that the Holy Spirit is God himself living in the person who is trusted in Jesus. And it is a gift of not a power, but a person. He, the Holy Spirit, is a person who lives in every one who is trusted in Jesus. Here again, the triune God revealed in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time came, God, the Father, sent forth his Son, God the Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those by them back who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, the gospel is that we were guilty before God because of how we broke the law of God. But the Son of God, God himself, wrapped in human flesh, who never broke the Son never broke the law of God, though he was born under it like you and I were. He never broke it, but he redeemed us. In other words, he was not guilty like we were, but he paid for our guilt. He paid the debt that we deserve. He redeemed us. He bought us back so that we might be adopted as sons. And do you know what God the Father does for his sons, for his adopted children? Next verse, because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, another of like kind, God himself into our hearts so that God would dwell in us as his children. Understand, it's this unbelievable reality that we are adopted, but we also have his DNA. We're adopted, but he's poured himself into us. For what purpose? Well, twofold. He's poured himself into us so that who he is might be displayed, his character might be displayed through us. Think about it this way. How might you fill this blank? God is... God is love because he lives in you that people would experience love, real love, God's love through you because he is love. God is kind. The people would experience kindness because God dwells within you. God is eternal. That you might live forever because God who is eternal now lives in you. Understand that the promise is that the spirit of God himself dwells in us so that God himself would be revealed through us. So that Jesus said, who is the son of God, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. We're alike and it ought to be, if, they, if, if folks see us, experience us, 
they experience God because he lives in us. Just think, if you're married, did your spouse experience God? If your children, your children experience God through you, his character? Super blessed. Uh, last night, my wife turned, uh, I almost said the age. She had her birthday. <laughs> that would have been bad news. She had, oh, <laughs> yeah, there she goes. She's, she double nickels is what she kept saying yesterday. She turned 55 yesterday. She, if you're in North, she just told the auditorium over here, so I'm free. <laughs> but at dinner last night, uh, all the family who were in town, my son who came up from South Florida for her birthday, we sat around and had an opportunity, as we often do, to put the spotlight on the birthday person and just share what do we appreciate about this individual? How awesome to hear my kids share how they've seen God in their mom, my wife. Because the home is the hardest place, isn't it? Because that's where the real you is allowed to come out. Come to church and we get a bit of a fake of you, go to church, go to work, and, but the real you comes out at home. And really blessed that they could say, how they had seen God through their mom. That's the Holy Spirit, God himself dwelling in her, living through her. The promise that Peter says is this, that his divine power has granted to us, say this with me, everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. That covers it. Everything that that is life and godliness according to the true knowledge of him, not just knowing about him, but knowing him. When you're in relationship with him, then he pours himself into you so that God himself, you have all that you need to put him on display. Now, make, make sure you say, is the Holy Spirit a power? No, the Holy Spirit is a person who has divine power because he is divine, all right? Because he's God, he has divine power and he dwells in us. He gives us everything we need for life and for godliness so that it comes out at work, so that it comes out on the street. That's neighbortude. So that it comes out at home. So that his character would be displayed in second role of the Holy Spirit in a believer is that he equips us to share in the work, that we are instruments of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. So you understand? Jesus came in order that we might come to God. He left so that the spirit might come and indwell us so that we might live for God. That we, because he dwells in us, we would display all that he is, love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. 
that we would display his character and that we would be the instruments through which he works, that other people would hear about him, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be witnesses. See, the Holy Spirit is in you so that you would share in being an instrument through which he works. That's why the Spirit of God indwells you. The Spirit is to our living for God as Jesus is to our coming to God. You capturing it? The importance of the Holy Spirit. But what's our verse say? First Thess 5, 19, do not quench the Spirit. See, a person lives within us who is God in order that God would be at work in us and through us. To quench, that is a relational experience. To quench, to extinguish, to put out, to smother. Sometimes it gets confusing when we talk about quenching the spirit because we think of quenching the thirst. Oh, that's good. I was thirsty, but Gatorade quenched my thirst. See, it's good. But actually quenching the spirit is not good because it's taking what the spirit intends and quenches it, extinguishes, it puts it out, it smothers. Now, important. Quenching the spirit is not putting the person of the spirit out of the believer. When I quench the spirit, it's not as if the the spirit that was in me is now no longer in me. How do I know? How do you know that quenching the spirit is not the spirit of God leaving Well, I've read it to you. Do you remember? I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another, not a cheap substitute, another of exact kind. I will give you another, that he may be with you forever. Jesus said it this way, in the Father's hand, nothing can get it out. So when you're in the Father, you can't be taken out of the Father. And when the Spirit is in you, the Spirit cannot leave you. He is in you forever as you are in him forever. Quenching the spirit is not losing the spirit. Quenching the spirit. Not putting the person out, but putting the work of the person out. In other words, love isn't being revealed in your home. Kindness isn't being revealed in your work. People aren't hearing you share the gospel. Can I say that to you very, very bluntly? If we're a believer and we're not sharing the gospel, we are quenching the spirit because the spirit of God lives in us to not only reveal his character, to display his character, but to share in his work. It's, it's a little bit like, like this. And some of you have seen this, hopefully aren't experiencing it. Ever seen somebody, a couple, two people who were married but didn't get along, didn't love one another, didn't communicate, weren't kind to one another. They were married but didn't act like God intended marriage to work, right? The relationship's still there but it doesn't look like marriage was intended. 
That's quenching the spirit. The relationship is there, but it doesn't look like it's intended to look. So when, when who God is, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness isn't revealed in my life, when I am not speaking the gospel and not, not helping people grow in Christ, when the work of God is not being accomplished in my life, I, I might be a believer but not look like, act like. Now what's possible? I'm not a believer. It's possible that the spirit of God isn't being revealed in my life because the spirit of God isn't in my life. That always has to come first. Spirit of God first must be in my life, then working through my life. But if it's in my life and not working through my life, that's called quenching the spirit. Not him leaving, but his work being put out. Don't quench the spirit. The opposite, be filled with the spirit. A command to be filled with the Spirit. Every believer is to be filled with the Spirit. No believers to quench the Spirit, but every believer is to be filled with the Spirit. What can be confusing about that is when we think of filling something, it suggests that we have something. Maybe the glass is half full, but we need more. And so when we hear, be filled with the Spirit, we think, oh, we have some of the Spirit, but we need more of the Spirit, which would make sense if the Holy Spirit was a power. But be the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. So I did, did I get like half of him? No. Either you have the person of the Holy Spirit or you don't have the person of the Holy Spirit. It's not like a cup half full that needs to be filled up. Now, you may go, well, I don't know. How do you know that for sure? I've already showed you the verse. Let me show it to you again, and this will bring it back to you. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So, He's not a power, he's a person. He's a person who has divine power because he is divine. And he has given me everything. So if I have everything, why would I need to be filled as in being given more? The tension is this, that every believer is to be filled with the spirit, but I can't receive more of him. I already have all of him. I have everything that I need pertaining to life and godliness. So if being filled with the Spirit is not about him getting more of him, what it is is about him getting more of me. Think of it this way. Think of your life as your home. Stranger comes to your door, knocks the door, you open the door, you speak to them, hello, I just have a quick question for you. You might probably keep them on the porch, but say, for whatever you said, well, come on in. You might invite them into the entryway. You'd probably stop there, right? Maybe you might go, well, let me get you something to drink. Take them into the kitchen. But if they're a stranger, you go, hey, why don't you come back and let me show you my master bedroom. Oh, let me show you our bathroom. Oh, check out in my bathroom closet. 
Now, what do all of us do when people come to our house that aren't family? People are coming over. What do we start doing? Shut the doors. Shut the doors. <laughs> Son, you need to close that bedroom door now. Nobody wants to look in there. And, get, and we throw stuff in the closet and close the door. Right? Because there's, there's stuff behind that door that we don't want people to see or to mess with or to get into. Right? You know what filled with the Spirit is? Jesus, you're not a stranger. I'm a Savior. You've loved me perfectly. Come on in. And instead of closing doors, I am opening every single door. You're inviting the Holy Spirit, not only into the entryway of your life, you're inviting the Holy Spirit, God himself, to come into the kitchen, come into your office, your workplace, come into your garage, come into your hobbies, come into your bedroom, come into your bathroom, come into your hall closet where you hide all your junk. Is the Holy Spirit invited into your life where you hide all your personal junk? That's filled with the Spirit. It is when the Spirit has full control of my full self for his full work. You go, that's a lot of full. Yeah. (laughs) Because filled with the Spirit is not more of him. I already have everything pertaining to life and godliness. Filled with the Spirit is every door of every area of my life opened for the Spirit of God to rule, to reign. He's in my public life and my private life. He's in my actions and in my attitudes and in my thoughts. Opening every part, full control of my full self for his full work. Now, what does that look like? Filled with the Spirit looks like this. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Give you a big picture. When you were first born, just as a baby, you had desires, even as a baby, but you did not have the Holy Spirit. It wasn't until whether it was at five years old or 15 years old or at 25 or at 55, it wasn't until you trusted in Jesus that as you trusted in Jesus, you were adopted. And what does God do for his children? What did we read? He pours his spirit into their hearts. It was not until you were born again that you had spiritual desires. You only had your own personal desires. But as a person who has been born again, the spirit of God now dwells. God himself lives in you. You are called to walk by the spirit. And when you do that, you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. In other words, within every believer, there are the desires of the spirit battling against the desires of the flesh, right? 
You think, oh, if I just give my life to Jesus, then all, then all my problems and all my temptation will go away. Wrong. Actually, temptation really doesn't even show up until the desires of the Spirit are in you. Because prior to being born again, what did you have? You had just desires of the flesh. There was no battle, except maybe not to get caught. But there was no battle inside. It was just, what's, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want? But now the Holy Spirit dwells within you. God himself says, no, I want this. And your flesh says, no, I want this. You know that battle? I know that battle. You're going to experience it this afternoon. And it's very simple. Walking in the Spirit is when the desires of the spirit win over the desires of the flesh. And quenching the spirit is when the desires of the flesh win over the desires of the spirit. It's that simple. Quenching the spirit, the flesh wins. Filled with the spirit, the spirit wins and the flesh loses. So it's just really simple. Just don't quench the spirit. Why is this so hard? Why is it so hard? And then you get married and it gets really hard. And then you have kids and it gets doubly hard. Why is it so hard? Because for most of our lives, These have had the rule, and they don't release their grip easily. For many of us, the desires of our flesh have ruled our life. They're used to winning, and people who are used to winning are bad losers. Seriously. And desires are poor losers. They demand to win because they're used to winning. And the only way, I'm trying to make this super real practical, the only way you and I are going to not quench the spirit is if we begin to learn how to say no to the desires who have long been told yes. So I want to suggest that a often neglected but biblical practice will help us. And that biblical practice that many of us don't engage with that will help us is called fasting. If you're not familiar with fasting, fasting is simply to abstain from, and it's usually associated with food, for a period of time. But it doesn't have to be food. It's to abstain from something for a period of time. Jesus fasted from food for 40 days. I'm not suggesting that, though people have done that. I am suggesting that we, each of us, choose something specific to fast from for the next 21 days as we are going through this series, Do Not quench the spirit 
And the connection is this. Walking in the Spirit is learning to say no to the desires of the flesh. And so fasting is good practice because it teaches us to say no even to legitimate desires. We don't fast from sinful things. We repent of sinful things. We fast from legitimate desires as practice for saying no to sinful desires. Did you capture that? So, for example, you may go, I'm not going to fast from all food for the next 21 days, but I will fast from chocolate or dessert. It's got to be something, if you don't ever eat dessert, then don't fast from dessert. You already are. It's got to be something that you kind of go, oh, I like this. And it's fine. It's legitimate. But I'm going to say no to learn to not be ruled by my desires, but my desires to be ruled by the Spirit. So you may go, chocolate, dessert, or Diet Coke. Or maybe an activity like, I'm going to fast from football. Watching football. Drives me crazy anyway. (laughs) Or I'm going to fast from TV. Or Netflix. Or social media. Stuff that, that every day I'm a part of, but... I'm going to fast from it. Not because, listen, listen. Not because fasting makes me more spiritual. It doesn't. Fasting trains the body that desires don't get to rule. Fasting is an opportunity to simply say, I'm going to learn to say no in legitimate things so that I can learn to say no to fleshly things. It may seem weird to you, but 21 days of saying no to dessert will help you say no to lust or to greed or to jealousy or to anger. Somebody said, as we were talking about this on staff, they said, well, Doug, you could fast from fishing. See, because it's always easier to think what other people should fast for than what you should fast for. So they said, you could fast for fishing. And I said, no, that would be unbiblical. (laughs) Because what's the Bible say? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher. You don't need the of men. He'll make you a fisher. Does the Bible say, follow me and I'll make you a fisher? Yes Yes or no? Yes. So it would be unbiblical to fast from fishing. So don't don't fast from fishing. You should fast from golf, something like that. No. The point is... What's something that every day, or very consistently, desire is satisfied that you would go, no, not because it makes me more pleasing to God, because it teaches me that desires do not rule and reign my life. In fact, fasting is not only saying no to something, it's really about saying no that I can say yes. Piper says it this way. When fasting is, is at its best is when we are fasting from, from something that we feast on God. 
So whatever you choose, here's a prayer, and I'll send this out to you, that I'm going to encourage us to pray every time in that moment of desire. Lord Jesus, I'm abstaining from satisfying this legitimate desire for, and, and whatever it is that you choose, in order to learn, number one, to not be controlled by my fleshly desires, but also, and to deepen my desire for and dependence upon you alone. So I desire a cup of coffee. No, I'm going to fast from coffee. And you may go, no, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'm going to fast from coffee because I'm not dependent on coffee. I'm dependent upon the Lord. I've trained my body to be dependent on coffee, that desire, and I'm going to learn. See, it doesn't make me more spiritual. Please don't hear that. We don't gain favor with God in fasting. We learn to train desires in fasting. And training desires is the key to learning, to walking in the spirit. Because when our desires always get met, we quench the spirit. So should you tell anybody? We're like, oh, no, no, Jesus said don't tell anybody. No, go back and read it. That's not what it says. In fact, you probably should tell somebody. Uh, I have to tell Jackie what I'm going to choose. Why? Because if I don't tell her, by Wednesday, I'll be going, well, maybe just fasting on the weekend from those sort of things. Or we start cutting quarters. You know how we do that? You start cutting corners. Which is just a reminder, that's exactly what we do with sin. We kind of warm up to it with small compromises. That's the value of fasting. We see, we see desire at work when we fast. If you don't like Diet Coke, don't fast from Diet Coke because that doesn't... You got to pick something. So I, here's what I know. Some of you are thinking, oh, that, no, that'd be too hard. Let me think of something else. <laughs> right? That's what you're thinking. In fact, you expect me to like pick the hardest thing? Uh, all depends what you want out of it. Because if you pick a secondary thing, then you know what you'll get? Victory over secondary fleshly desires. You, get, you know what I'm getting at? So yeah. Pick something that for 21 days, you'll be like, and you'll learn you'll learn that desires fleshly desires don't rule my heart it'll be hard I'm not, I'm not faking it it'll be hard and it'll be good let me clarify though again but when the kindness of God are Savior and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration in renewing by the Holy Spirit. My point is this. We're not fasting to gain favor with God. 
The only way you and I gain favor with God is through trusting in Jesus to save us. When we trust in him, then the spirit of God indwells us. Now we need to learn to walk in the spirit. You cannot quench the spirit who does not yet live within you. So I must come to Jesus. I must be born again before then I can learn to walk in newness of life. So first things first, have you trusted in Jesus? Not you know something about him, not you're trying to be a better person. You've recognized you're guilty and deserving of the wrath of God, but you're trusting in him to be your savior. If you've trusted in him, he lives in you. The third person, God himself lives in you. Learn to walk in him and fasting is a process that learns to say no to desire and saying no to desire is the key to walking in the spirit. Aren't you glad we didn't do an eight-week series? (laughs) So pick someone, share with them, and we're going to close with this prayer that we're going to declare in song. And I hope it will, see my words may not stick with you, but a song will follow you all week. This weekend, my son says to me, you keep whistling that song. I was like, yep, it's because we did it Thursday night at the end. And I hope that's what you'll happen today, tomorrow, this song. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Don't think here. Don't think the room. This, this building's not the temple of God, this body. If you're born again, it's the temple of God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come fill this place. Flood this place. Make me more aware of your presence. So that that is our prayer. Would you stand with me? And let's declare that in song together. Holy Spirit, welcome here. Because
Overcome by your presence, Lord. Don't think an emotional experience. Though emotions, as we learned last week, are good from the Lord. But to be overcome by his presence simply means this. That his presence, his spirit is in me. And therefore, his desires overcoming my fleshly desires. Overcome by your presence, Lord. Not an emotional experience. A victory over temptation from my desires. Help me be more aware of your presence. See, we forget. Days get busy. Things get crazy. We forget the spirit of God lives in us. God himself dwells in me. In this moment, to experience your goodness, God. Again, that's not an emotional moment. When? When we yield to the Spirit of God over our fleshly desires, we experience His goodness. Not an emotional experience. We experience His goodness because His commands are not burdensome. They're good. And so when the Spirit of God wins, that's the goodness of God that we experience in that moment. So... As that song rolls in your head this week, the truth of what we're really talking about, not an emotional experience, an intimacy with God himself. In moments of temptation, remembering, no, you're in me. You rule, you reign. In moments of fasting, Lord, I want to learn to say no so that I can feast on you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And faithful is he who calls us, and he also will bring it to pass. God bless.